Good morning. Good to see you all. Let's stand together. We're going to sing Grace Alone. Begin our chapel this morning. Sing it right out. that one phrase it stood out to me just a moment ago that grace inspires all right the apostle paul said that the grace of god was not in vain first corinthians chapter 15 verse 10 not in vain what's that mean that means it's it produced something it changed him on the damascus road uh he was going one way and he ends up going exactly the opposite way we won't get into all that if you were at calvary on sunday you heard a good message on that but uh, grace does inspire. How did it happen? Well, we were adopted. And then to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein we are accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. I mean, not just a little bit of grace, a rich grace, all right, that continues. And if you want to go to Ephesians 8, 
or 2, 8, and 9, which everybody knows, back up to verse 7, it calls it the exceeding riches of his grace. And he's going to show us that throughout all eternity. Grace is not a small subject in Scripture. I mean, really, uh, we are here by the grace of God. Let's pray. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not going to pray. I'm used to doing that. Uh, Dr. Dr. Licht, Will Licht is the Vice President of Academic Affairs, and I know that many of you, most of you know him, but it's my practice at the beginning of a semester, particularly the beginning of a year, to kind of reintroduce and let you know how much we appreciate these guys, and you see him on campus know uh, that this school could not function without men like Will Licht, and I mean that very sincerely. Good man, deacon in his church, uh, serving faithfully here at Maranatha, as well as his church at Fellowship Baptist. So you pray for us, and then after that, uh, we're going to hear from Dr. Pill, affectionately known as Dr. Pill. He has no doctorate. He's not close to having a doctorate, all right? Uh, but the way he, he has a doctorate in soccer. All right, there we go. There we go. All right. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise you and thank you so much for the grace that you shower upon us and have showered upon us every day of our lives. Thank you for the grace that have brought us to this new semester and uh, have given us this new beginning. We thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ and his gift to us of salvation. Lord, we thank you for these meetings. We pray, Father, that you would take our hearts and minds and concentrate them today on the Word of God as it's presented. Lord, there's a lot of distractions that might divert us from the truth you have for us today. Help us to grab that truth. Help us to apply it to our hearts and lives. Pray for the preacher. Bless him. Give him the words to say. Give us ears to hear and do the word of God today. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning. My name is Taylor Pill. My name is Taylor Pill. I work in athletics here at Maranatha, and I'm here to pronounce to you that the fall seasons begin this weekend. Yeah. I got to watch my mics up here. So for those of you that don't know what's going on, in the fall we have five teams that compete on the NCAA Division III and the NCCAA Division II level. Women's volleyball, men's and women's cross country, and men's and women's soccer. Everything starts this week and next week. Our women's volleyball team kicks off next weekend at the Ripon College Classic. Our cross country teams get everything started on Friday night. They're going to travel down to Elmhurst, Illinois to compete at the Elmhurst Early Bird Invitational. That's on Friday evening. Then here at home on Saturday, both of our soccer teams get home games started against Martin Luther College. So Saturday at 2 p.m., our women's soccer team takes on Martin Luther, followed by the men at 4. So Saturday at 2 and 4, we're taking on Martin Luther right out here on the game fields. Here's the thing about Martin Luther. They used to be based in Watertown, and so whenever they come to campus, they usually bring fans. Let me speak to the freshmen here for a second. Everybody else knows this. Freshmen, here is one way to look at the importance of the matters of Sabercat Nation. One way to look at it. You have life and death, Sabercat Nation. 
that's just, that's just one way to look at it. If you have a differing view, call me and we'll talk. But Saturday, Saturday at 2 and 4, our soccer teams get home games started. If you need to get a review on everything that was just said, follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at MBU Sabercats. Get all information about game day, driving directions, live stats, video, all that stuff at MBUSabercats.com. We cannot wait to get the fall seasons started. Go Sabercats. Let's sing together, Walk Worthy of the Lord. You can be seated. time we'll sing it this time with just our voices sing all those parts if you know them sing together walk worthy of the lord come give your heart to christ live always bearing fruit for him live strengthened by his might walk worthy of the lord all power to his name give him glory give him honor walk worthy of the been worshiping well this week. We love when you sing with all your heart. It's just such an important part of our services together. So just bring that every day to chapel. It's been such a blessing. Now you may stand. Let's sing together our theme chorus. Here is love. Here is love, fast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the prayer Gracious. 
Thank you. Please be seated. and I trust that it is well with your soul this morning. And uh, if it is not, as we mentioned last night, uh, God is willing and able 
to forgive you of your sins and uh, to give you a right relationship with him. Appreciate the good music again uh, this morning. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, this morning and ask you to go to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, and as you're turning there, um, gave you some information about me last night, and uh, I'll give you some more information. There's two things uh, that uh, some of you are wanting to know about me. One is, how in the world did he get his nickname Shorty? I'll tell you about that later. Uh, The second thing is, uh, some of you want to know, where in the world is this guy from? And uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania, but for some of you, that means nothing. Uh, so I'm going to give you two more pieces of information that may, need, may mean completely nothing to you, but at least it'll be useless facts that you'll have. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania called Indiana, Pennsylvania. Talk about confusion as a little kid, you know. I uh, wasn't sure which state I actually lived in other than the state of confusion. But, uh, you know, there's, you know, I lived, I grew up in Indiana, Pennsylvania. And uh, Indiana, Pennsylvania is known as... The Christmas tree capital of the world. I don't know why, but it is. Uh, No, we used to have a lot of nurseries there in Indiana and uh, grew a lot of Christmas trees that would be shipped out all over the place. And so it is Indiana County, Pennsylvania, uh, has held the title of Christmas tree capital of the world. I honestly don't know if they still do today, but I may have to look that up. Uh, But that is what they know. And uh, for some of you who uh, maybe are a little, this is just kind of bonus information. Uh, Indiana, Pennsylvania is the hometown of Jimmy Stewart, if any of you know who he is. Um, uh, Some of you maybe have seen the movie Around Christmas Time, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, Uh, I say that not because I don't like the movie, but it's on pretty much somewhere in Indiana, Pennsylvania. It is on somewhere beginning December 1 all the way through the day of Christmas. And uh, it's just, you turn a station on, and it's like, really? That's, oh, nope, don't, oh, yep, oh, nope. <laughs> and so uh, I grew up, and it was all over the place, and so you just kind of get weary of it. Uh, but uh, if you enjoy it, good for you. Uh, and so uh, the other thing that I want to let you know is uh, I live right now, we live in a little town called Clymer, Pennsylvania. Well, I'm giving you a lot more information than I was planning on. But uh, Clymer, Pennsylvania, and we are just about 20 minutes south of what is known as the weather capital of the world. Some of you have heard of Punxsutawney Phil, the famous prognosticator uh, of the weather. Um, He lives just about 20 minutes north of me, and so my claim to fame is Jimmy Stewart. I grew up in his hometown, and I live about 20 minutes south of the famous groundhog. So that's that's who I am and uh, where we're from, and so I hope that uh, that is helpful for you. I don't know how, but uh, maybe your teachers will give you a pop quiz on that or something. I had you turn to Numbers chapter 14. And as we have been going through uh, the chapel sessions, we have been looking, uh, we looked yesterday in Joshua chapter 14, beginning to look at this subject of claiming mountains for God and being someone who is going to be a mountain claimer as opposed to someone who, uh, as God leads in our lives and presents us with this challenge, this mountain, instead of avoiding it, 
We're willing to claim that mountain for God's glory. And yesterday, we took some time to look and review. And uh, I apologize to the people who are doing the screen today. I, I didn't grab the clicker from you, and I don't see it up here. So uh, we'll have to maybe work together a little bit on this. Uh, but just by way of review a little bit as we go through this, I uh, just want to remind you of some truths that we looked at yesterday. And the first truth that we looked about a mountain claimer yesterday was that a mountain claimer is someone... Uh, who is going to have, uh, as we looked back in Joshua chapter 14, well, you tell me, somebody, give me, what is the first truth that we learned about, uh, if you've been with me at camp, you know I like to review because repetition is a good teacher. Um, unfortunately, if you've been with me at camp, I don't have candy to throw at you, okay? And so uh, I, I help, you'll you just have to forgive me of that. But uh, what's the first truth that we learned about a mountain claimer? Somebody, anybody? Yes, way back there. Very good. He has an outstanding faith or reliance on God's word. And we learned yesterday from Joshua that Joshua is someone who had an outstanding reliance on God's words. They were getting ready to go into that uh, to claim the land, and the spies went in. They came back. They gave the report, but he said, we're able to do this. God said he's going to give us this land. Let's just take him at his word, and let's claim this territory for God's glory. Now, as we looked at that yesterday, we, we uh, also not only realized that there is this reliance on God's word, but there were three truths that we learned underneath that. A firm reliance on God's word means what? Anybody? Yes, sir. Very good. It's founded on God's word. If we're going to rely on God's word, we have to know what God's word says. And so we're going to base our faith not on our feelings, not on emotions, not on popular opinion. We're going to base it on the truths of God's word. Found your faith, your reliance for life on God's word. And so there's the, uh, it's founded on God's word. Second one. If I don't see your hand, yes, sir. Very good. It's focused on God's work. They were not, uh, they did not get distracted. Joshua and Caleb did not get distracted and saying, you want to know something? Let's try another territory and see if we can conquer it. They were focused on God's work. This is the area that God wants us to conquer. Let's go in and do this. And they kept their focus on God's work. And young person, there's going to be a lot of things that your flesh, that the world, that sin is going to want to use to distract you from doing the work that God has called you to. I want to encourage you, stay focused on God's work. And then the third truth was what? Anybody? Yes, ma'am. Very good. He was faithful to God's will. And so as we looked at those truths yesterday, we're going to move on. And I told you we kind of subtitled this, The Chronicles of a Mountain Claimer. But let's take a look, if we could today, back in Numbers chapter 14. And we're going to take a look at verses 6 through 10. In verses 6 through 10, we're going to learn another truth from this. And uh, we are going to learn what it is that made the difference between these uh, spies, the ten negative spies, and the two positive spies who wanted to continue to follow God, who had that reverence for God, or that, uh, had that reliance on God's word. We read in Numbers chapter 14, verses 6 through 10, it says, And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them, that searched the land, rent their clothes. Now, just to give you context, they've been into the land, they've spied it out, they've come back, the report has been given, and uh, Joshua and Caleb have said, no, we need to go in and conquer this land, and the people decide not to go in. And so Joshua and Caleb, it says, they rent their clothes. 
And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. Can I just stop there? When I read through that, I thought that's kind of funny, humorous to me. What else do you stone somebody with other than stones? You know, that's just kind of a side note. But they bade stone them with stones. And then it goes on and says, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. We have two different responses that are taking place between the spies and also the congregation that is there. The two different responses we see are this. There are the ten bad spies, and they are trying to discourage people from doing God's work, from relying on God's word and going in and claiming the land. Then we have Joshua and Caleb who are relying on God's word. They want to go in and they want to conquer the land. And the question that I began to ask myself as I was reading in this passage is this, what made the difference between Caleb and and the crowd. What made the difference between Caleb and the crowd? The crowd is saying, oh, we can't go in and do this. We can't go in and conquer this land. Yeah, we know what God told us to do. We know what God wants us to do. We know what God said, but we can't do it. Let's not go in and claim this territory for God. What made the difference between that perspective and Caleb and Joshua, specifically Caleb as we're looking at him and saying, let's go in and do this. What made the difference? If you were paying attention, they already kind of put up there real quick. It's okay. Uh, They already put up there a little bit as to the conclusion that I came to. And the conclusion that I came to is the difference factor between the, the crowd and Caleb comes down to this word, fear. The difference factor in what is taking place between Caleb and the crowd is fear. We see this word given to us here in this passage of Scripture. We see it evidenced in the lives of the people as they begin to talk about the giants and how great they are, and they're so much bigger and better than us. And fear begins to creep into their lives, and it begins to take over their thinking. And as it begins to take over their thinking, it begins to take over their living, because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so fear begins to consume them. What kind of fear did they have? Well, when we think of fear, we think of this unpleasant emotion that is caused by a belief, a way of thinking, that someone or something is dangerous. That there is this threat, that that there is this possibility that there is pain or there is hurt, whether it's physical, emotional, financial, uh, concerning our future, whatever. There is this fear that is there, and it causes this unpleasant emotion to begin to not only affect our emotions but it affects the very way that we're thinking. What are some things that people fear? Well, common answers that I get, I shared this uh, the other day on Sunday in Sunday school, common answers that I get are things like snakes. Anybody here like snakes? I was watching something last night after we got home and there was this 20-foot python crawling through the woods and I'm like, ew, you know? Yuck, I don't like snakes. Now, if they do their own thing and they leave me alone, okay. But when they begin to get a little persnickety, not okay. And so uh, I don't care for snakes. 
Some people don't like spiders. My wife isn't here, and so uh, I'll use her as an example. In our house, we live in a, in a fifth-wheel trailer. Every now and then, we'll see a spider. And it doesn't matter if that spider is the head of a pin. It doesn't matter if it's the size of a quarter or if it's a tarantula. Every spider is the biggest spider she's ever seen in her life. My wife doesn't like spiders, okay? Now, that's a little bit of hyperbole there, you know, exaggeration. But she doesn't like spiders, and so I have to, you know pull out my Superman shirt, and I have to go, and I have to kill that spider, regardless of what size it is, and uh, I, I don't mind killing spiders, but today, I'm still her hero, because I kill spiders. She doesn't like spiders. You know, some people are afraid of heights. Here, can I give you another piece of information um, about me? This is kind of, again, bonus, okay? I won't have to share this tonight. Um, here's a little piece of bonus information for you. Um, I have actually stumbled off a stage. I'm hoping it doesn't happen as I've been preaching. Um, I was preaching, got to the end, and boom, boom, boom. There it was, you know, so embarrassing. I'm hoping that doesn't happen here today because it won't be the recovery that it was in that other church. But, uh, you know, uh, some people have a fear of heights. Uh, I have met some preachers who, if they were up here, they would never even get near the edge because they're afraid of heights. They just don't like it. Uh, the camp that we work at in Virginia, we have an activity there called the drop zone. We have you walk up this tower. You're about 63 feet on this platform. You have a harness on. We hook you up to a device, and then we're like, have a nice fall. And uh, you have to make a choice as to whether you're going to take that step of trust. Do you want to know something? There's a lot of people who get up there big, brave, and bold, but once they see that gate open and they walk up to the edge and they look down... It's a whole different perspective, and fear sets in. I have literally seen guys who play football, seniors in high school, bigger than me, taller than me, stand there with their knees shaking. Can you push me? I don't want to go. <laughs> I can't take the step. Are you allowed to push me? No, I can't. Insurance won't let me. <laughs> but that fear begins to set in. Listen, all of us have fears, and for some of us, the greatest fear isn't snakes. For some of us, the greatest fear, it's not spiders, it's not even heights. You know what the greatest fear that you have? It's the people who are sitting around you. You're afraid of what people will think. You're afraid of making, uh, you're afraid that you're not going to be approved by the people who are around you, and that fear seizes your life. It begins to affect the way that you think, and so instead of having a reliance on God, you begin to fear respect other people more than you do God. So we come to this passage of Scripture, and the truth that I want us to realize this morning is that if we're going to be mountain claimers for God's glory, a mountain claimer is someone who has an outstanding reverence of God. See, Joshua and Caleb, as we come to this passage of Scripture, and Caleb begins to speak, there is a word that is used at the end of verse 9. It is the phrase, a three-word three phrase, excuse me. He says, fear them not. He says, you want to know something? As you guys are looking around, you're looking at the, the giants that were there, and you've heard the report, and you want to know something? You know God's commands. You know what God wants us to do. He wants us to go in, and he wants us to conquer this land, but you're fearing the giants more than you are willing to respect, revere, and honor God. See, when we think of that concept and the idea of the fear of the Lord, 
Fear of the Lord, though it does entail perhaps that sense of God could judge me, God could punish me, God could do anything that he wants to with me. There may be part of that in there. It's more of this. There is a reverential awe or respect of God. Where we stand in awe of who God is. And in our culture and in our society today in which we live, they have done a masterful job at taking the God who once people used to uh, talk about and even use this term that they were God-fearing people who stood in an awe and had a respect for God even though they weren't believers and now God is being completely degraded. And if you and I are going to be mountain claimers for God, you and I have to evidence to the world that is around us and even fellow believers who are around us a reverential awe of who God is. Could I just encourage you? This is just personally from me now coming to you. Could I, could I encourage you to consider how often and in what context you will use the word awesome? Especially if you're going to say, God is awesome. You know, when I think of awesome, I go back to days when I was a kid and I'd watch cartoons and, you know, there was something that would happen that was just unbelievable and the character's chin would go from here all the way down to the ground. They're just standing there like, you know, they're dumbfounded because of what just happened. But we use the word awesome in all sorts of contexts and I'm guilty of this as well, but I've tried to be careful in how I do this because I don't want to take God and when I refer to God as someone who is awesome, I don't want to take him down to the level of, man, that pizza is awesome. (laughs) Oh, that car is awesome. Man, that ice cream tasted so great. It is awesome. I don't want to take God and lower him to that regard. And there is no pizza. There is no car. There is no ice cream that level that is able to match the level of the awesomeness of God. And young person, I want to encourage you to use this time as you are in your classroom, as you are in your rooms, as you are having discussions about God and his word, to let God use this to be a time to reveal to you who he is and gain that awe, that reverential awe and fear and respect and reveration for who God is. How much do you revere God? You see, what we find in this passage of Scripture that reveals their outstanding reverence of God is this. We see that they had a reverence for God's person. Notice the name that they use in this passage of Scripture. In verse 8 and 9, as they are speaking about God, they use the term Lord or the name Lord. Jehovah. This was not a God like any other God. This was the God of Israel who revealed himself to Moses with this name. And this was a God who Joshua and Caleb, as we're looking at Caleb, they had this outstanding respect for his person. How do we show respect for God's person? Well, I think, first of all, we need to be very careful and guard the dignity of our God's name. Our God's name is something that is to be revered. You know why? Because our God's name means something. Our God's name ought to teach things, uh, ought to teach us things about our God, but it also ought to teach other people things about our God. And so we need to respect his name. And, and young person, please understand that I'm not trying to attack you on this, but, but listen, if we take God's name in vain, it's not showing a reverence for God. It's not showing that we revere his person because we're not even willing to respect his name. And so we need to be willing to respect God's name. Why? Because I say so? No, because God says so. God says that we need to honor his name. Don't take his name in vain. Why? Because God's not going to hold them guiltless that taketh his name in vain. 
And so when we say, oh my, and then we put some form, fashion, or derivative of the name of God behind that phrase, then we're not really revering God in the way that we ought to. You text that, you have a shirt that says OMG on it, and you wear it proudly and people laugh about it, you're not doing justice to what it means to revere our great God. So Caleb says this, you want to know something? Uh, We need to go in and conquer this land. You know why? Because I have this outstanding reverence of my God. I revere him more than I revere and fear those giants that are there in the land. Not only his name, but his attributes. Knowing who God is. Notice I have up there that we need to revere God's person. You know, if I were to ask this morning for you to give me some character, some attribute, some quality of God, no doubt a majority of you would be able to begin to rattle off things. You know, the big three O's, that he's omniscient, omnipresent, and he's... Nobody else wants to fill in the blank? Ah, omnipotent. Yeah, we know those, right? We know that God is holy, just, loving, kind, forgiving, da-da-da, all those things. Can I just throw this out there to you. I think when Joshua, or excuse me, when Caleb was referring to God as the Lord and he used this name Jehovah, he wasn't just trying to answer some questions on a quiz. These are things that Joshua answered because he knew the person of God personally. He wasn't just talking about something that his mom and dad taught him. He wasn't just talking about something that a professor told him in class and he wrote it down and, oh, this is what I'm going to need to reproduce on the quiz. He knew who his God was. He had a personal knowledge of God. And if you and I are going to have this respect for God in the way that we ought to, we have to constantly be developing this understanding, not just theoretical understanding of who we think or we want God to be, not just what other people are telling us about this God, but we need to understand and know him personally. Isn't that what we're told in Jeremiah as he says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches. But if we're going to glory in anything, you know what we ought to glory? We ought to glory in this fact that we understand and know who God is. And that is a personal understanding, not just a mental awareness of. It's a personal, intimate understanding. And we ought to be growing in that. Peter, the very last words that Peter gives to us in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I hope you never tire of getting to know who your God is. And I would ask you this, do you know more about God today than you did yesterday? Not just knowledge-wise, because you were taught something in a class or you heard something in church on Sunday, but do you have a growing knowledge of God because you're spending time in His Word and you want to know the person of God? Do you know God better this semester than you did last semester for those of you who are returning? You see, Caleb evidences this reverence for the person of God, that he is not just a God like other gods who the people of Israel were going to go after and serve and bow down and worship and rely on. No, his God was different. He was the Lord. He was Jehovah. And he revered him in that way. If we're going to claim mountains for God's glory, we must have this outstanding reverence for God's person. Second of all, not only that, but as we take a look a little farther in verse 8, he says this, He says, he will bring us into this land and give it us. We see, second of all, he revered God's promise. He revered God's promise. 
You know, once we understand the person of God, and as we begin to read through the Word of God, not only do we find the person of God as He reveals Himself to us, I refer to the Scripture, okay, when I'm talking to some young people, I say it's a selfie. Because what God did is God took a picture of Himself and He says, this is what I want you to know about me. That's the Scriptures. So God reveals who He is, but God also shares with us in His Word, He tells us His promises. He gives us so many promises in his word. And, and young person, I would encourage you to begin to make a journal. Guys are like, I don't journal. Okay, begin to make a list, okay, of something. But write down what you know about your God, the person of God. It, write down that you know, and here are some verses, and as you learn more verses and more truths from God's word, go back to that journal if you're a girl, list if you're a guy, and begin to fill in some verses underneath this. This is who my God is. So that when you are faced with those, uh, those objects of, of opposition, you can go back and say, this is who my God is, but then also somewhere make a list of promises that God gives you. The promise, first of all, of salvation that God is able to give to us eternal life. No other God, no uh, little g God, no other religion can make that promise. Everyone else has a hope so, but God gives us a guarantee. That's a promise that God gives to us, that we have eternal life. The fact that God will never leave us nor forsake us. God will never turn his back on you. God will never forsake you. And God is faithful to us. The fact that God is going to continually conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That God has a plan for your life. That God says, I'm going to be working on you. I'm going to continually be forming, fashioning, changing you to be more and more like my son, Jesus Christ. Those are just a few promises, and you'd be able to give me more promises if we were to take the time and ask for them this morning. But, young person, you have to be willing to know God's promises and discover and find them in scriptures as you're reading about who God is. You come across these promises from God, then write them down, remember them. Why? Because you're going to have times in your life where you're going to have to rely on God's person and God's promises if you're going to conquer and claim those mountains. If you don't know the promise, you don't know the person, then you're going to give up. Or you're going to try and claim it in your own strength and for your own glory. And so, young person, I encourage you, you need to develop a reverence for God's promises. And the fact that God never breaks a promise. There are some of you who are sitting here and you say, I just don't know if I can trust that. Because I've had people give me promises in the past. And they've broken those promises. Could be a parent, could be a teacher, could be a friend. It could be a pastor, youth pastor, whoever it may be. There was that promise that was there, and they broke that promise. You say, I just don't know if I can trust God. Could I encourage you to grow then in that understanding? Not to put God to the test in that sense of see if he's going to do it, but ask God to help you to rely on him. God, people have disappointed me. Your word says that you won't. God, I want to lean. I want to trust in you more. As you see God for faithfully fulfilling those promises that he gives to us in his word, that will help your reverence, your awe, your respect of God's promise and the fact that he keeps his promises. It'll help that grow in your life so that you can claim mountains for God. Caleb had an outstanding reverence for God's person, an outstanding reverence for God's promise. But thirdly and finally, we see this. He had an outstanding reverence for God's power. 
The spies come back, they give this report of the land, and they begin to point to these giants that are huge. We're like grasshoppers, we're tiny, and there's so many of them, and what are we going to be able to do? And they begin to build up this fear in the lives of the people. And Caleb says this in verse 9, he says, fear them not. Why was he able to say that? You know why? Because Caleb knew God's power. He had seen God's power at work in the lives of the people of Israel and even in his own life. Go back to when they were in Israel. And God calls this man by the name of Moses to come back, to go to Pharaoh and says, you know, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. God says, okay, I'm going to begin to put my power on display and we have the 10 plagues. Caleb would have been there to see that. And he would have seen God's power displayed through those 10 plagues. Finally, Pharaoh lets them go. And as they go, they are out in the wilderness. Pharaoh begins to regret his decision. And the next thing you know, uh, here they are. They're stuck between the Red Sea. And they turn around. And here is the Egyptian army facing them. And the people do what? They, they fear. What are we going to do? And God protects them. God is leading them through this, and God begins to protect them, and God divides the Red Sea so they're able to walk over on dry ground. And and once they get over there, man, could you imagine walking through there, first of all, and seeing those walls of water that are there? That would be the power of God. They would have never seen anything like that before. And they're walking through, and I can just imagine that sticking and burning into Caleb's mind. God is powerful enough to be able to do this. He gets over, and now God moves before them again to lead them, and the Egyptian army begins to pursue them through the Red Sea, and the waters come crashing down in. Who could do that? Only God, Jehovah, can do that. And they continue to go through this wilderness wandering, and each step they see the power of God. They see God's power put on display. Young person, we have the opportunity to be able to, uh, to, if we will submit to God, we have the opportunity for God to put his power on display in our lives. And some of you have seen that. Some of you have seen the power of God put on display in your life. In fact, a majority of you sitting in this room, you have seen that put on display. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he took your sins He put them under the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He forgave you of your sins, and he gave you something that no one else can do. He gave you the promise of eternal life. There's no other person, no other God, no other religion. There is nothing and no one who can do that but God. Boy, what a powerful God we have. We have a God who is then able to take a life that has been broken, that has been scarred, that has been devastated by sin, And whether you were someone who was saved as a young person, whether you were saved as a teenager, even as an adult, I want you to realize God has taken all of our lives that have been damaged, broken, and scarred by sin, some a little more than others. God is seeking to reclaim and transform our lives, to be something that would be to the praise of his glory, and only God has the power to do that. And some of you have seen victory in your life over things that you've had taking place in your thought life. And you've claimed the promises of God's word. And you've you've allowed God's word to get into your mind to change the way that you think. You've put off the new man. You've been renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you're seeking to put on the new man. You're not perfect. But boy, you've seen God take thoughts that you never thought you'd be able to change. And God has given you the power. And through his power, he has enabled you to be able to change that way of thinking. Some of you have seen that happen in the attitude of bitterness. Bitterness towards that person who has broken that promise. And when once you were bitter and consumed by that bitterness towards that friend, that parent, that person, whoever it was, you've asked God to give you the ability to forgive them and the power of God 
is put on display in your life because no longer do you hold that, that bitter feeling against them. That sense of resentment and revenge. Instead, you've released that over to God. and You've forgiven. And bitterness is no longer in control of your lives. Some of you have seen it in the matter of friendships where you thought, oh, I could never go on in life without this friend, and yet the power of God gave you the ability to be able to remove yourself from that negative influence in that relationship. Maybe even some, it was a positive relationship, and you were depending so much on that positive relationship and on who they were that you were depending on the power of that person, and you weren't depending on the power of God, and so God has had to remove that friendship from your life for a while. Why? Because he wants you to learn to depend on him and his power. For some of you, it's the thinking processes of the world where you have allowed the things of the world to get into your mind at different points and times in your life and you found yourself thinking like the world, talking like the world, living like the world, enjoying the world's entertainment, the world's music. And then all of a sudden, the power of God came into your life through the preaching, teaching, reading of his word, and your life was changed. How was that changed? changed through the power of God because our God is powerful. As a little kid, maybe you've heard the song, He is able, He is able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. You know why we're able to say that? It's because He is powerful. And what was encouraging Caleb, what was pushing Caleb forward to go into this land and claim this territory for God, it was his reverence of God that my God is so much greater than the enemy. My God is so much greater than these giants. My God is even greater than my own personal fears. And I stand in awe of who God is. Do you stand in awe of God today? What's your reverential factor when it comes to God? Who is it that's competing for that, for that place of awe in your life? I'll tell you, whatever you fill in next to God that's competing for that, the Bible has a term for that. It's called an idol because you are giving it higher place, higher authority, higher power in your life than you are God. So, young person, I would encourage you this morning. You're going to claim mountains for God, claim new territory for God. You're going to be able to move forward as God wanted his people to move forward. I would encourage you, ask God to help you to develop this reverential awe for who God is and have a fear of God. I close with this question. Does your life show a great neglect or great respect for the person, for the power, for the promises of God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have been able to look into this passage of Scripture again. And Father, we thank you for the example of Caleb. Father, I pray that you would help us as we continue to go through this, that first of all, we would be encouraged to continue to go on and to claim that new territory that you would want us to in our lives. Lord, there might be someone here still as they came to school, they have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're still putting on the show, and they're fearing man. They're fearing what other people might think of them if they were to trust you as their Savior now. Father, I pray that they would not allow the fear of man and their pride to keep them from trusting Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us who are believers, that we would develop and grow in our reverential awe for who you are that we would grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that there would be a hunger and a thirst for getting to know you better, 
not just to have facts and information, but to truly know you on a more personal level. Father, we thank you for the promises that you give to us in your word. Father, I pray that you would help us to depend on your power, because without you, we are and can do nothing. Give us that reverential awe for who you are. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, you're here this morning, and we, are, again, are not going to have a come-forward invitation this morning, but I would encourage you, young person, if God is working on your heart during this service or any other service, I would encourage you to seek out a counselor, staff member, teacher, dorm supervisor, room leader. You know, I'll be around afterwards. I'd love to be able to talk and pray with you, show you truths from God's Word. You making spiritual decisions is the most important thing that's going to be taking place today. And if we can help you in that, we'd love to do that. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, you know, Mr. Shank, as you were speaking this morning and as we were looking into God's word, I, I don't have that reverential awe. I have not had that reverential awe for God in my life. And this morning, God specifically convicted me about this. And I am going to ask God this morning to help me to have and develop that reverential awe for him. And to stop fearing people, to stop allowing my fears to control me, to allow that fear and awe of God and who he is to be that which helps me claim mountains for God's glory. Would you slip up your hand this morning? Again, this is a specific decision, not just asking for something general, but concerning the fear of the Lord. I have not had that awe of God that I need to have in my life, and God spoke to me about that this morning. Good, you may put those hands down. Maybe you're here this morning and say, you know, Mr. Shank, you were talking again about salvation and the power that God wants to put on display in my life. And I grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you went to Christian school. You were homeschooled. Listen, all of that means nothing, really. What I'm talking about is this. I'm talking about, has there ever been a point in time where you asked, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sin? You're here this morning and you say, you know, I've been afraid to admit that been afraid of what my parents might think, my parents might say, my pastor might think or say, what my friends back home, maybe even what the people sitting next to me, what, what they might say if I were to say that I came to Bible college. And I'm not really a Christian. I've been playing the game. But this morning, I'm not going to let that fear control me anymore. I would rather have the power of God put on display in my life. I'm going to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you be willing to slip up your hand this morning? I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, but I would like to be able to pray for you. I'd be happy to talk to you afterwards. I'm not going to hunt you down, but I would like to be able to pray for you. Mr. Shank, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Would you pray for me? Father, we thank you again for the work that you're doing in hearts and lives. And Lord, I, I do ask again for maybe that one who is still living in fear, maybe more, has never trusted Christ. I pray that you would encourage them to speak to someone after the service. When this chapel is over, may they have the confidence and courage to be able to come and speak to someone that they might know for sure, have the confidence in you that they possess eternal life because they've trusted you as Savior. Father, I pray that you'd help each of us, those who raised their hands, those who did not, that we would understand who you are, get to know you better, and that we would have that reverential awe and respect for who you are. Our culture does not have that respect, but may they see a difference in our lives the way that we live in our relationship with you because we think differently and we have that awe of who you are. Father, we thank you again for this time and your word. We ask for your blessing on it. Continue to use it in our hearts and lives as we go throughout this day. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our wonderful, powerful, holy God.
Amen. Thank you again for your attention this morning. You are dismissed.